Hello, uh, welcome to the uh, artistic interviews for the Architecture of Hiding Symposium. I'm Ryan Steck, Artistic Director at Art Engine, and I'm here with... I'm Pallavi Swaranjali, and I'm uh, uh, one of the coordinators for Cryptic, as well as uh, one of the conveners for the Architectures of Hiding Symposium. Uh, today we're here with uh, François Sabourin. Um, he is a course lecturer at McGill University and an architectural designer who lives in Montreal. Uh, we're also here with Bertrand Rougier, who is an architect living in Oslo, Norway. Uh, together they've been exploring the relationship between design and landscape through photography, installations and publications. Uh, in 2019, they exhibited an earlier version of Verdure, the work that we're going to be talking about today for the Plis Public Workshop at the Pavillon de l'Arsenal in Paris, where they were awarded the Prix Plis. Uh, in 2021, they will continue this research at an artistic residency in Nouvelle-Aquitaine. Uh, their collaborative work has been exhibited at Université de Laval, Université de Montréal, La Maison de l'Architecture, and published in the journal Platt. So welcome today, gentlemen. How are you? Good, how are you? Hi. Good. Good. We're looking forward to this uh, conversation today. Um, we're going to start in with the basics and just kind of uh, get you to talk a bit about um, what the inspiration for making this piece was. How did it evolve? And I think one of the interesting terms that you use, this mimicry camouflage, if you can, as you talk about how the work evolved and how you kind of created it, is that a term that you coined? And can you, in your sort of description of the work, elaborate a little bit more on this concept and how it shaped your project? Um, so feel free to, to like compliment, but the, the, let's start with the mimicry camouflage. It's, I think, um, that, you know, we can say that's a sort of technical term in the industry of camouflage. So you have multiple different kinds of camouflage the most you know the one we're the most used to is a sort of uh let's say geometrical pattern sort of uh like rounded forms and colors and that's the classic military camouflage and then the mimicry camouflage has sort of emerged in the 1980s and there are two main brands that uh have sort of uh you know they have brand recognition let's say and it's uh, it's it's real tree and mossy oak, and those two brands at the same time sort of came up with uh, this idea of having a camouflage that has recognizable plants and landscape elements on it. So um, you know, with the the idea that maybe that's a more effective camouflage, and that kind of um, that kind of pattern is really sort of marketed to uh, to hunters primarily. Um, so it has its origins in, in, in hunting and it's sort of knowing well the landscape where you operate uh, and not in, in military history uh, for the other types of camouflage. Um, but today it's sort of, you know, it has expanded to so many things. There, there are couches that have real tree patterns on them. There are um, shower curtains that have this mimicry camouflage on them. Uh, you know, so they're, they've become this kind of cultural uh, symbol. So that's that's the term uh, mimicry camouflage. And that's kind of, I would say 50% of the initial inspiration uh, for the project alongside. So are, yeah. do, are you 
hunters or is this like how did you um get like how did you become inspired by this um by this this particular um hunting sort of you know texture mm -hmm. pattern mm -hmm. it was uh, looking into um, the cabins that are used for hunting right initially that we noticed in in, in the landscapes so in, in forests and fields primarily and um, wanted to investigate a bit more the architecture of hunting and the specific uh, use and the specific use of space in in this universe and then we stumbled upon this um, mimicry mimicry camouflage that uh, kind of really uh, affects how we perceive space and um, it seemed to interesting and from an uh, from an architecture standpoint to analyze it yeah we we, we did a few projects before you know that involved going outside in the landscape and you know they, they were they were driven by a curiosity on the topic there were also sort of excuses to take a to take a long hike yeah. so we would walk alongside underneath like power lines when it was one of our projects and then in those situations we would sort of yeah encounter these hunting blinds and they have these weird shapes they're sort of um they're these funny objects that are sitting in the landscape you kind of see them you kind of don't um you know often they have this just as a side note they have this kind of blazed orange on them so they're a mix of both like signaling their presence but also hiding their presence anyway we were kind of fascinated by that but we're not hunters and so we're, we're sort of uh, looking at it from outside with fascination uh, and I, I would also add that there was a project where this was mainly Beth Clown's project but I sort of helped a little bit on it uh, about uh, fishing cabins ice fishing cabins and so I think we were sort of orbiting this um, this architecture and design of uh, sort of resource extraction of animal use in the landscape and um, and yeah, eventually the, the camouflage just became this sort of the main design, one of the main design projects that that circulates inside of hunting and fishing. Interesting point about the the, high, the, the relationship between architecture of hiding and, and um, revealing when you're mentioning the neon because yeah. the clothing obviously takes on an inverse relationship, right? It's a, it's a, uh, the 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 camouflage becomes a kind of urban signal that you are engaged in other kind of behavior outside of it. You're signaling a cultural relationship, mm -hmm. and the neon blends <laughs> into the urban environment. So they have this kind of inverse signaling, which is really interesting. Yeah, completely, completely. And um, I mean, yeah, that's 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 part of why I think camouflage is so interesting. It's because it it is definitely you know it definitely fits into this theme of hiding. But there's sort of a, a, you know, a signaling of what kind of person you are in a way. Like, you know, if if, if you see someone wearing camo, we all sort of make uh, certain uh, assumptions about maybe where, uh, you know, the cultural context that uh, that they're in. So there's definitely that uh, side of it, which we didn't approach directly, but was sort of interesting to us. So how does it uh, come from this fascination into the kind of um, uh, both, I think, material work that you're doing, but also the photographic work that is um, integral to, I think, the presentation and sharing of the work? The photographic work didn't start quite with that, but we, we interviewed um, 
the camouflage designers of those companies that do mimicry camouflage. And we learned about their their process um, for making the, and the camouflage. And a lot of it resembles sort of, you know, like a, it's collecting, basically. It's going in on the ground and photographing in a bunch of different conditions, plants. Um, and it's mainly plants, but, you know, plants, branches, uh, I don't know, ground elements, rocks, you just walk around and photograph a bunch of things. So, and the things that were, uh, what was inspiring to us was also the resemblance between that process and the old uh, sort of process of making tapestries with plants on them. So, you know, looking into historical research that has been done in, in art history on how those tapestries were made, they often involve having an herbarium. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that word weird, but um, you know, like a book with a collection of plants in it so that the, the tapestry makers would sort of reference uh, this leaf here, this plant, let me put it on the, on the tapestry. And so the tapestry becomes this like repository of, of all the different plants that were known and therefore it's kind of this rich display of, of knowledge, almost like, instead of having a garden with all these exotic plants, you have a wall covering that has all of this, all this knowledge and this culture embedded in it. And yeah, so to us, there was a connection there too with this idea of signaling, right? Of having all of these plants and signaling a, a, a certain kind of culture with that. And so it was really important to us to, to have this kind of careful process of going on the terrain and taking these pictures and kind of having this process of being like an amateur herbarist or something like that. There's also this uh, this notion with mimicry camouflage that it's for a specific, well, in hunting it's for a specific um, prey. And for specific preys come specific seasons or times of the year when you can when you can hunt them. And so those this combination of prey and uh, time within the year gives you a kind of ecosystem and a color of an ecosystem uh, in which you'll find a specific prey. And so for, for each prey, there is this, uh, it's, its own specific camouflage of which uh, all the species of the, of the trees will be represented on the camouflage. So for example, uh, whitetail will be in deciduous forests, mostly in autumn. And so you'll have this gray, orange, a bit of conifers there, so a bit of dark uh, green. Mm -hmm. So there's this idea that um, once you photograph everything and then assemble the camouflage, when you put it back into this specific time of year, specific ecosystem, it should be invisible. And then comes this second uh, aspect of photography within the, the project. Whereas after collecting, you're kind of putting it back into the, the, the ecosystem and then trying to really blend the, um, the camouflage within its uh, kind of intended environment. That's also something that the camouflage designers told us. You know, it's like this, this endless back and forth process of photographing the landscape, but then printing and then re-photographing that because that's the best test to see if if things actually work, right? And and photography is this super important part of the 
of the marketing process, you know, because you have to display the performance of the camouflage. <laughs> and it's always this twist, right? This some kind of ironic thing because you go on the website and they'll have these amazing images where there's, you know, a hunter completely decked out in this in this camouflage and you can't see him, but you can just enough so you can actually spot the person. Yeah. yeah. But this is all totally fascinating because it all revolves around one, that the photographic object is is not how the human eye perceives. But then even more, the thing that you're trying to camouflage to is the animal, which has a totally different perceptual framework yeah. than the human. So camouflage can be totally irrelevant if the mammal does not see colors. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. And, and there's, as you say, there's not really any way, like no one has asked a deer, you know, what works. But theoretically, apparently, they don't see orange very well. So that's why you have the blaze, the blaze orange, so that humans can, can see each other, but not the deer. But in general, we, we can't ask the turkey or the, or the deer. So who knows what works. <laughs> That really brings me uh, to our next question. And we've been thinking about uh, your, uh, you described certain, if we may call it binaries, but for example, the idea of the tapestry as well as camouflage. And really, I mean, if you look at it, a tapestry was put on wall walls so that uh, it almost became the uh, visual focus uh, of the room or it became a background against which the other thing, architectural objects were contrasted. Um, and camouflage as a means of hiding. So it's very interesting for me to understand how you brought, and I do understand that you brought it together because of the process that went into it, the idea of looking at plants and then uh, detailing it out and putting it up in there as almost like a, a cultural element. But how, how does, tapestry and camouflage, or even certain other binaries that you've been talking about, the idea of camouflage as a hunting element versus camouflage almost as a piece of fashion element or a statement. And those are binaries that really strike me in, your, in the conception of your work. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think it's the, it's the, the, the tension between the the cultural element. I think there's there's a display of, of an identity, like two of them happening at once. And one of them is, yeah, like uh, like the personal identity of the person wearing the camouflage, but there is also the identity of the environment, which Beth was kind of uh, talking about, you know, of an environment at a specific moment. And so I think that's part of uh, what was interesting to us in making a camouflage for uh, for a city, right? And sort of understanding better the, um, the plant or the landscape identity of, uh, of a city. Uh, you know, all cities have like landmarks that we recognize, but they also have this maybe more subtle uh, set of, of plants that contribute to, you know, knowing where you are. And so, the tapestry also kind of plays that role, right? It also plays the role of showing a collection of plants, of um, showing uh, maybe the identity of a certain uh, area, geographical area, or it could play that role. Anyway, it's very much like putting on display, some uh, putting something on display. So I think that that was we were trying to do 
to borrow from that uh, from the capacity of the tapestry to do that. But also, did was that challenging then? Because you're kind of probing two sides of the coin at once, hiding as well as revealing. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea of scale as well, right? So when you're looking at this, the urban scale, uh, it's more. It, is it more about hiding? And when it comes to say the personal scale, it's more about revealing. I think we were mostly thinking about hiding really when we were designing the project yeah. and imagining what kind of object the camouflage could go onto and how that ob object could be used. We thought about what you could want to hide uh, with, a, with a kind of a green camouflage for a city that would blend, but also why and where and when. So. Uh, was it like a picnic that you wanted to hide or uh, electrical boxes on, uh, on sidewalks? So I guess I think hiding was was perhaps a bit more uh, present, but then we realized that this uh, or we did this piece of clothing that could be used as a shelter or as a tap tapestry. And in itself, uh, we were faced with the issue of having to display it. Yeah, and uh, in a like, display in a gallery, and so all of a sudden, that project turned uh, kind of inside out, and we. Yeah. Well, we we've been learning a lot from our our conversations. I think with thinking about um, this that hiding is a form of drawing attention to something, right? Yeah. And so this yeah. this inverse tension that is created that you you have to be um, deep into the notion of the hiding in order to produce the work in the way that it is this mimicry camouflage, but that taking it out of context is to reveal something about the city in a way. Um, I think mm -hmm. that's a really uh, interesting relationship there. Yeah, slowly there, there's uh, more and more levels of, let's say, sort of representation, right? Like each one refers to the precedent step and I think becomes kind of more distance from the initial, the initial subject. But um, just a quick thing about hiding, I think that sounds right. Like the, we, <laughs> we thought about the sort of what the hiding process reveals but in a way just the hiding is the technical challenge that's the part that can that can fail and i think that's the that's what i think for us also made the project interesting is that it, it can actually it can actually not work and you have to test it and you you take pictures and then it could it could just not hide it could not work and um you know we had some some pretty uh tough uh critiques from the from the from the camouflage designers we sort of exchanged early versions and they told us this doesn't work because of that this sleeve is clearly too big blah 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 so um so just uh, the the hiding does a certain amount of revealing but it's really the hiding that's kind of that's the job yeah, that's where what you put hours in for a project like this yeah. it's very interesting you talked about uh, you know how the pre uh, the camouflage and the prey associated with the hunting, uh, as well as the time of the year, uh, all those things become very, very important. And uh, it makes me think then uh, when you, and in your abstract, you've talked about maybe having clothing, you know, like a poncho or um, a tent, a tapestry on the wall. Uh, and then how do you determine what 
fits where. And I know you're, you exhibited a different version of this work elsewhere and probably you will do so uh, in the coming years as well. Is there some thought uh, about this idea of contextual application of this work uh, that, that may come with the place or time of the year or the concept for which you're uh, presenting or exhibiting? Yeah, so well, when we did it initially, it was for uh, an exhibit in Paris in November. And so we thought it would be uh, very natural to kind of um, do a camouflage for that specific location and time. And, um, and that, I think, can be uh, quite adapted to other contexts of time and place. But obviously, a challenge with that is that uh, you kind of to, to collect the the, the right elements to assemble the camouflage, you do need uh, to be there in that specific season mm -hmm. or time of the year. And so either you have to assemble and produce the whole thing within three weeks, or it goes like over a whole year. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's, that's a, an inherent uh, challenge to producing uh, uh, time-specific uh, camouflage or yeah. vegetation camouflage. No, I think that's, uh, you have to be embedded in, well, you have, it's, it's a long process that requires you to visit a, a place uh, many times. So that's, I would say, like what limits what, uh, what you can do, but it's also kind of drives. Yeah, but also that's kind of you know, just uh, another kind of beauty that we stumbled upon is that we realized quite quickly that we couldn't be in Paris for a super long amount of time to collect. But we realized that a lot of the plants that we that are found in Paris and that are definitive of the city are actually found elsewhere. And for example, in Oslo and Montreal, we could find the trees that are found in also, also in Paris and kind of uh, play with the change of seasons that come earlier in, uh, in Norway and North America to kind of mimic the right yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so the, the they make the paris the, feel yeah. yeah the the event the opening was in november in paris and so that time was in oslo um i was here in montreal so i could i could go around and find you know uh, a london plane that was a little bit ahead in its uh in its autumn cycle and so the leaves would be kind of near the right color and uh, so there's a kind of this time and geographical uh, shift there. So that, that was both a trick that was very practical, but um, also a way to understand how certain species have migrated and or been important, uh, imported and, um, you know, in, in, in what neighborhood they are. Uh, I think there were a good amount of London planes in Little Italy in Montreal uh, for some reason. I think there, you can you can sort of read some design intentions uh, in different cities through uh, what plants are there, what trees uh, give a quote unquote sort of European feeling to a neighborhood, and so you can reveal those through the the just this process of. Of, of making the camouflage and also um, and also yeah it's, it's just sort of a practical trick yeah is this 
the end of the project for you? Or do you see this as sort of like uh, other iterations that relate more to hiding in the city? Um, I think it's really context dependent. So, you know, it, it, it's not the end uh, in the sense that we would like, you know, we, we would like to make more patterns for different uh, places. But I think if we make a pattern for, for example, Nouvelle-Aquitaine, you know, it's a very rural area. So then you'd probably have different uh, issues there that we, uh, I'm not as familiar with, but, you know, what are the uses for, for hiding there besides hunting? Um, you know, we can, we could find out, but I think it's, it's really driven by, by the local context more than, I don't know, I would say like, yeah. uh, seeing an issue and trying to provide a solution from it for it. Yeah. So I was reminded of this, uh, moment when we were taking pictures of the poncho in the city of Paris, in the streets and trying to find a background that would work with our camouflage to kind of reverse, reverse function really. Um, and uh, it felt like we were well, quite signaling our presence to other people wearing this uh, this kind of tapestry and also taking pictures of it. And we could kind of uh, get glasses from the, the people around. And uh, hiding in parks feels like you're really perceived as a threat. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, so I thought that was also a, a connection with what you were saying in the sense that when you're trying to hide in a place where everybody is not hiding in that specific manner, then feels like you're, yeah, you, you feel like a, a, a threat to mm -hmm. other people or feel like you're perceived as a threat mm -hmm. um, and it draws uh, attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's you're cool. under, under the spotlight uh, because yeah. you're yeah. trying to do a hiding hide. act. <laughs> yeah, I think all, one of the, aspects of the project that sort of relates to that is that because it's a pattern and there's basically a file and it's a seamless pattern, it's it's a little bit like those images that we use in architecture school where we have like a texture map, right? So you can go on some website and download it. And so there's a there's potential for these patterns to just sort of be used by anyone else. You know, and that would be uh, that would be that would be fine. So you can just make these patterns for urban environments, and then if uh, someone wants to use it for whatever the purpose is, um, that can be done. So it's it's I think it's important that it remains open ended, um, you know, because I, I I don't know I, I think it makes me uncomfortable if the project was saying uh, this or this person should be hidden. Like that's you know not for us to say, but if it's a decision on the part of someone uh, and they can kind of use that pattern however they want, then I think that's uh, that's more acceptable. You're, you're sort of on the edge. Um, uh, maybe it's like a, a cusp in the project where, because uh, we can feel this tension between building a kind of provocative tool um, and then, or a kind of aesthetic um, a path, right? One where I can see easily how it makes this really um, uh, like referencing the history of kind of 
emblems and insignia that use um, sort of uh, plant life or, or, or animal life from an area to represent that area, how each of your camouflage is kind of a bio signature for mm -hmm. a particular city. And that becomes like amazing on t-shirts and, and posters and you <laughs> can hang it and it becomes a kind of, uh, but you know, a signal that we recognize a place in a particular mm -hmm. context and that there's a, there's a path that's really interesting there, but it's in, it's maybe in tension with this sort of provocative tool idea. Um, can you see that, that sort of tension yeah, within yeah. it that you have those discussions? Completely. I think it's, um, I think if both are, I think this tension is really, it's really constructive. You know, I, I, I think it, it, it can help the project to be both at the same time, because obviously the sort of the craft is really driving a good bit of the project, but yeah, it loses some amount of, of value and energy if it's only used in this sort of very sleek, uh, very, you know, commercial commercial way. So yeah, again, I think if if it's open-ended and can be used and sort of misused, um, uh, I think that's kind of a validation of the pattern. Definitely. I think uh, also I like the botanical as well as the architectural nature of things and bringing those two together with this open-ended agenda um, definitely makes sense. And what the tension that Ryan was bringing forth, I think, is is the asset of of the project, if I may say so, in, in my head at least, <laughs> it, that it really brings forth the conversations of these tensions between various things. Yeah, I think this uh, tension was also existing when we were designing it, when we were kind of uh, flipping back and forth between doing this very effective camouflage that we wanted to disappear and then also wanting to do this object that has had this uh, aesthetic appeal. So we were kind of flipping back and forth between them two. Well, this has uh, been a great conversation. Um, really, uh, thank you for your time with us. Uh, it's really fascinating to hear about the project and the way it unfolds. Um, you're uh, mentioning you're, you have another residency coming up. Will you be uh, showing another version or producing another version? Is that uh, what we heard there? Yeah, that's the, uh, obviously, 2020 and 2021 being what they are uh it will happen at some point but um right. yes there will probably be a new pattern there yeah. great well we look forward to seeing uh more uh patterns from you guys thank you very much for your work and for your time take thank care you. thank you so much both of you thanks <laughs>